I appreciate you being here this morning. Excited to share with you from God's Word. And if you are listening in your car, maybe it's not morning, maybe it's afternoon or evening. Maybe you're coming home from a meeting that could have been an email, and uh, you're frustrated. So hopefully this uh, message will bring you some kind of encouragement. Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for bringing us all here this morning. Thank you for what you want to speak to us about from your word. I pray your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do. God, I pray um, for those of us that are here that are complacent, that you would um, shake us up a little bit and bring us back to what's important. I pray for those of us that are here that are overwhelmed, that are struggling, and that just need some encouragement and hope. I pray that you would offer that as well. And uh, we ask all these things so that your name would be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. I wouldn't wish my life on anyone, really. I grew up in poverty, um, dysfunction. Um, We didn't have much growing up. My father was very abusive, particularly to my mother and I. In fact, we would go to church on Sunday morning where he was a deacon in the church. And then Sunday afternoon, he would beat us with a belt. And there were times when we would have to watch while my father beat my mother and have to not cry so that he would stop. Because if we cried, he would keep going. And then one day I came home from school in seventh grade, and my mom said, hey, we're leaving. And she took me and my sister and left my other sisters and brother, Marilyn, and we went all the way to the state of Maine to get away from him. And in the seventh grade year, I had the privilege of going to three different schools in two different states. And it was rough. In fact, one day, uh, things were not going well at my house, uh, being the man in the house as a 12-year-old boy, that uh, next thing I know, I find out that I'm not even living with my mom anymore, and I'm living with a, a stranger. Um, a gentleman who was my math teacher became my dad and uh, moved with him from Maine to New Hampshire. Uh, we, we had, he had the privilege of teaching math in the poorest school in the state of New Hampshire. And we did not have any money. In fact, things were so tight that I would have to take my lunch and my, and my duffel bag and take out the ingredients because we couldn't afford brown bags or lunchbox or um, baggies. Let's call them yeah, baggies. We couldn't afford that. So I just had the ingredients in there and I had to eat it and was embarrassed my my friends would notice. Um, <clears throat> then moved uh, upstate New York for high school, and uh, the nearest town was 30 miles away. We had more cows than we did people, and honestly, when you're growing up in high school and you want things to do, don't move to this town, and <laughs> there was nothing to do. That's the good and the bad, right? Couldn't get in trouble either. Um, <clears throat> went to college and graduating, got married, and my wife and I couldn't have children, so we didn't know what we were going to do. We decided to go into foster care and fostered uh, 24 kids, ended up adopting five, um, five kids that were abused, neglected, and, and pretty much every way that you could think about. And that's been a difficult journey for us the last, um, last how long have we been married? 28 years with these kids. My oldest son, as you know, is in prison. I have a daughter who's a, a recovering, recovering, hopefully, heroin addict. And two kids that with uh, special needs at home. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a rough road for us. And with a wife that has uh, numerous health issues, I got to tell you, when I look back on my life, I think I wouldn't wish it on a soul. It's been hard. I wouldn't trade my life for anybody else's. I love my life. In fact, when I was born, I was, I was uh, born in a family of poverty and dysfunction and had a father who was very abusive to, to me and to my mom, and, uh, but still took us to church. And, and I'm so thankful for this little little legalistic church because one day the pastor asked if somebody wanted to 
um, accept Jesus as their Savior so they wouldn't go to hell. And I raised my hand, and I went forward and stand there, and so thankful for a lady named Mrs. Fincham, because she took me back in a room and explained to me what it means to be a child of God. And that day, as a little seven-year-old boy growing up in a very difficult home, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And then God took us away from that abuse and took us to the state of Maine, which was a transition, but I'm so thankful that he did because I met my new dad there. And a guy that took me in and he raised me and he gave me help and he, hope and he helped me believe that my journey mattered and it was important. Somehow, I was able to go to college, didn't have any money, but I made it through college, met the, one of God's angels that he placed down here on this earth and brought her into my life and I got married to an amazing person. And we couldn't have children, but that's okay. Because God has blessed us with numerous foster kids that we could give hope to, but also five kids. And uh, while it's been very difficult, I'm so thankful for the journey of each one of them because it's taught me so much about who God is and how, how God loves us despite what we do. And the most amazing thing about that is my, my one son was able to marry an incredible young woman, and um, they've been able to have two amazing children. And I look at that and I think, Three generations later, we've broken the cycle. The abuse and dysfunction that I grew up with, that my son had in the beginning of years of his life, his kids will never know. And I'm so thankful for that legacy. I'm so thankful that with all the things that my kids have gone through, and as hard as it was, that God was preparing me to become the president and CEO of an organization that works with families that are, that are uh, under-resourced, that are struggling with poverty. And I would never say to them, I understand what it's like, but I can say to them, listen, I know, I have a son in prison as well. Yeah, I understand because I have a daughter who's a drug addict right now. And I understand because, you know, I know what it's like to walk that journey. It's a different journey for each one of us. But everything that has happened to me, I had no idea what God was doing. He was preparing me for what he has me doing doing now. And I'm so thankful. I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. It's amazing how perspective changes things, right? There's two ways to look at the same thing. It's like a a woman who came to a hotel to check into a room, and the person was describing the room, and he's like, oh, you're going to love this room. You know, and he's describing, and she goes, oh, that sounds wonderful. It looks looks amazing. And he's describing the bathroom. She's, oh, that's that's just going to be wonderful. And describing some of the other men, and she said, oh, that is... That is going to be just so perfect. And he stops and he says, oh, have you been here before? She says, no. And he said, well, how do you know it's going to be so perfect and amazing and wonderful? And she said this. She said, I decided a long time ago that no matter the situation I was faced with, I would look the best. I would look for the best. And I would decide that I'm going to be positive instead of negative. And it's amazing how just that little perspective changes your outlook on everything that you go through. I'm going to find my glasses. It's always a problem. And here's the challenge, though. How do we keep perspective when things are going difficult for us, when things are just just mounting on top of us like an incredible weight? And how do we keep perspective? And how do we keep perspective when things are going great? And we don't have those trials. We don't have those burdens. I realize it's a little... There's a little, uh, it's a little oxymoronic that I'm doing a sermon this morning on how perspective changes everything, and yet there were people in Houston that have had 18 inches of rain in a 24-hour period, and the water has risen up to these street signs. You know, when you're driving on a highway, it tells you which exit to get off, the water is up to that. 
And I realize that there's a, you know, but here's the thing, that we need this perspective, whether things are going great or whether things are going difficult. So I hope wherever you land, and you're in one of those two camps, I hope that what, what God has said through his word would encourage you this morning. So three things that we need to do in order for us to be able to keep perspective. The first one is this, to understand God's role in our lives. There's a lot of things that God does in our lives, and this list isn't exhaustive, but when I think about helping us keep perspective, I think of three things that are vital. And the first one is this, God provides for our needs. If you have your Bibles this morning, I would love it if you would open up with me to John chapter 6. Some passages I'm going to ask you to turn to them. Some of them you can just jot down, and you can read them later. But, it, but it's important for us together to look at John chapter 6. You know the story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. <clears> and in John chapter 6, uh, I'm going to just read a couple verses if you want to kind of glance through that. And uh, if you do what I do, you know, when, when Tim gives you a passage, you just keep reading, keep reading the chapter and the next, and you're like, oh yeah, he's speaking on something. Just kidding. And, uh, but you can read it if you want quickly get the whole context. But my favorite verse is in verse 5 and 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? 5,000, some say, some say 5,000 men, and there were probably, could have been, you know, seven to 12,000 when you count the women and the children there as well. And Jesus says, where are we going to buy bread? Do you know any stores? Is there a Costco? Is there a Sam's? Is there a BJ's? Is there something big enough that would, where we could just go and buy enough bread for all these people? And then I love this verse. He asked this only to test him. For I already knew what he had in mind, what he was going to do. And, uh, and you can read the rest of the story. I love this because the idea behind this, by the way, is the same thing that we find in 2 Corinthians 13.5. You can write that down and read it later, but here's what it says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Can't you see for yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you, unless you actually fail the test? The same word there, the idea of, of examine, look at the evidence, look at the proof, and make a decision. And what Jesus was doing was kind of setting them up to say, okay, I'm going to show them that when they have need, I'm the one that's going to provide. And you know the story, right? You know there were five loaves and two fish, and Jesus said, okay, let's sit them down. Let's start, let's start uh, divvying up the bread and the fish. And can you imagine, you know, can you imagine Philip or one of the other disciples just kind of saying, okay, like I've done the math. And this is impossible. Like I have dissected, I have cut this, this fish up into so many pieces and, and I'm still, I still don't have enough. And, uh, and, and you know the story that they feed them and they end up collecting so much food left over, 12 baskets full of extra food. And what Jesus is communicating to them in this is, listen, you're going to have situations where you're going to be in need. But understand, when you're with me, you're okay. Because one thing I do is I provide for needs. See, it wasn't about how much, how much bread and fish they had. It was about who they were with. And I tell you, this is something that has, that has meant a lot to me in my own life, as well as in the role of the factory, is that when God is in it, and God is there, then there is no need for need, because God will provide the need. And that's one of the things that, if we are going to keep perspective, we understand God's role in life, is that He provides for our needs. The second one is that he gives strength when we are weak. If you want to turn over to 2 Corinthians, you know this passage probably as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 
12. I'm going to start reading in verse 7. It says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because this is Paul speaking, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But here's what God said to him, and this is what I want you to hear. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul goes on, and he says a few other things, and then Paul says this. When I am weak, then I am strong. One of the things that God does in our lives is that he gives strength to us when we are weak. We don't know what this thorn in the flesh was. Some say it was physical. Some say it was, um, he had, Paul had bad eyesight, and that's what he was, and he just longed for, for good eyesight. Some people think that it was spiritual because of the messenger from Satan, so some kind of spiritual attack. Some think it was, was depression. I mean, we don't know what it is, and it's probably good that we don't, because then we would assume every single time somebody had this, that it was a messenger from Satan. We don't know, but we know that what God said to him when Paul begged him over and over again, please, can you take this away? Like, I don't think I can do this. God says, yes, you can, because my strength is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect when you're weak. And so the only way to see God's power is for us to be weak, right? I mean, as long as we're strong, we don't need his power. And so God oftentimes puts us in situations where we are staring in the face our weakness. And it's that moment God says, here's, what I, here's my role in your life, to give you strength. Not just to provide for our needs and to give us strength when we're weak, but also to give us joy when we are confused. John 15, 11 says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's not, it's not an external joy. It's not like God says, here's what I've done. Like, I'm going to take this little special thing of joy and I'm going to just set it in your hands. Open your hands and I'm going to set it in there. And now all of a sudden you have joy. Don't drop it because you won't have joy anymore. But as long as you have that, you have joy. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about anything external. He says that, Jesus says here that you will have my joy inside you. And when you're a child of God, it's like, it's like, uh, have you ever, this is a really bad example, it's the first one that came to my mind. Anybody watch Trolls? You know, when they're having the little dance party, right, and they're celebrating, and this beam of light goes inside one of the trolls, and all of a sudden it just pours out of every, you know, every pore of their body. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know, okay, those of you that have seen that, you're a little kids, you might have seen that. And, and that's what he's talking about. When, when, when you are a believer, then the joy of, 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 who, of who God is, it just it flows from the inside out. And so it's not based on whether you feel it that day. It's not based on whether you can kind of grab a hold of it and say, oh, good. You know, sometimes, like, there's going to be a new iPhone coming out. You know, some of you Samsung people, you're still holding on to the Galaxy. This is your chance to, to leave that finally and come to the, you know, come to the right camp. But, you know, I will have joy when I hold that new iPhone. But after a while, that iPhone won't give me so much joy, and I'll need another one because that's so external. But no, that's not what God's role in our life is. God's role in our life is to give us a joy that is, that is from the inside out, that is not dependent on our circumstances. That's why, by the way, James can say to consider it joy when you face trials of all kinds because that joy... I mean, those trials are giving you perseverance. And he says that perseverance is allowing you to become fully mature and complete. So God's role in our lives, you can see it there, to provide for our needs, to give us strength when we are weak, and to give us joy when we are confused. 
But what is our role in our lives? Our role in our lives is to trust him in times of want. If you don't know this by now, Amazon has taken over the world. Right? And uh, how many of you have Amazon Prime? Yeah, it's okay to admit it, you know. And it's, some of you still got the student version, right? Even though you're not a student, that you can't admit. <laughs> but, you know, and uh, Amazon Prime, it just allows you to buy anything and, and it comes in two days and you don't have to pay the shipping. And depending on where you live, sometimes it comes in one day. You ever been excited when you thought it was two days and it came in one day? Yeah, and if you live in some areas, there's lockers you can go to, and it's waiting there, and now they are working on same-day delivery. You know, for a guy like me that wants instant gratification and has, you know, a a heavy dose of ADD, that's perfect. You know, gone are the days when you had to save up money and actually go somewhere and purchase something. How old school is that? But we have a thing in our house that's called Amazon Wand. Anybody have it? Anybody have Amazon Fresh? Come on, folks. Amazon Fresh, right? Anybody get groceries to your house? It's amazing. We can order groceries on a Saturday afternoon, and by Sunday morning, they're there. And, and many of them are the same price as the grocery store. And so we got this thing called Amazon Wand because it was, it was $14.99, but the first time you use it, you get a $15 credit. So, like, I wasn't born yesterday, but I just made a penny, you know? <laughs> and you can scan the barcodes of things in your pantry, and it'll put it in your cart. And then all you got to do is, I mean, this is how our cake is this. You still got to go to your cart and click, you know, shop, you know, buy. And, uh, but it's amazing that they are taking over the world. So here's what has happened is that you don't need anything when you have Amazon, right? And then if you, if you get these lightning deals, anybody, is it just me? I feel like I'm the only one. <laughs> you know, these lightning deals or they'll come to your phone and notification. Oh, look, one of these is 50% off, you know? And, uh, but and so what it does is create a culture where if you, anything you want, you can get and you can get rather quickly. But our, our job, our role in our lives to help us keep perspective is to trust in times of want. Go back to the feeding of the five. Their job wasn't to figure it out. Jesus asked them a question and they came back and they said, oh man, we would need eight months wages. I mean, we would, you know, I don't think there's a Costco big enough for us to be able to get all this stuff. And can you imagine if he said, well, let's feed him and they said, well, time out, Jesus. Like, I mean, I know you like to do crazy things, but Let's sit down and calculate this out. Let's do the math. In fact, let me get a knife. Let's start cutting bread. Let's, just, let's see how small we can get these cubes. Let's see if... That wasn't their job. Their job, when Jesus said, okay, gather everybody around, guess what their job was? To gather everybody around. All right? And trust that God was going to provide for them. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know the passage. You've known it for many years. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not just most of it, not part of it, and lean not on your own understanding. And all your ways, and everything, acknowledge him, and what will he do? Depending on how long ago you learned it, he'll either direct your path or make your path straight, right? One of, the, one of the two, but kind of the same thing. And that's really what a, what a great verse for all of us to learn as children. The problem is sometimes we forget it as adults. So we're going through, you know, times that are difficult, and we forget that, oh, our job is to trust in the Lord, not trust in Chakot, or trust in Amazon with all of our heart, and to lean not on, on our way to figure it out. Jesus didn't say to the disciples, I don't care, figure it out. He said, no, trust in me. Lean on your own understanding, and always acknowledge me, God talking, and I'll direct your paths. Sometimes we need to hear that, by the way, when things are going really tough, right? When it's very difficult. 
Sometimes we need to hear that when things are going very well. Because we still got to trust in him and not lean on understanding and acknowledge him in all of our ways so that he can direct their paths. Not only trust in times of want, but have peace in times of chaos. You know, I don't like the word peace. It's often overused. I feel like it's an excuse and a cop-out type word because sometimes people say, I just have peace about buying this car. Like, I don't know. What does that mean? I think it means external circumstances because so if I want to buy a car, I'll pick on Greg here, and I want to spend 30000 and I find out Greg spent 33000 the same car, I'm like, oh, see that? Now I have peace. No, we both might have got, you know, taken advantage of. Or sometimes people say, I don't know, I just, I just don't have peace about this, this situation. And I often think, well, what would give you peace? If it went your way? You know, a true story, we have a donor in our community where I wanted him to uh, sign up to be a sponsor for our fall banquet one year, and it's $10,000. And he said to me this, I just don't have peace that I should spend 10000 on this sponsorship. And I said, okay. I said, do you have peace that you shouldn't? And he said, no. I said, all right, then let's do it. You know? <laughs> but, and he did. But sometimes, you know, we, we use that word and we get it to say what, what we want because oftentimes our, be, our peace is based on circumstances. So you change the circumstance, I'm like, oh, now I have peace. But it's not the peace that God talks about. Isaiah 26.3, it says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither, neither let it be afraid. John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, true peace is nothing external. You can't change the variables and like, oh, phew, now I can settle in peace. It's despite your circumstances. It's despite the variables. It's even when you can't figure out how to make it work because it's not a peace that comes from us or iPhones or Amazon or anything else. It's a peace that comes from God. And when you're a believer, ready for this? Here's the good news. You have that peace of God. And so what is, what is uh, our role in our lives is to trust him in times of want, to have peace in times of chaos, and then to be thankful in times of disappointment. See, we're taught as little kids to give thanks when something good happens, right? How many of you say to a kid, you know, what do you say? And they say, please and thank you. One time I went up to a little kid and I said, what do you say? Like, and, hey man, what's up? And I said, hey, what do you say? And they go, please and thank you. Like, oh, no, I actually was saying, how are you, you know? But we're taught that. When somebody gives you something, you say thank you. Can you imagine if we also taught them every time there's a trial to say thank you? So when someone takes something away from you, what do you say? Thank you. You know, can you imagine if that's what we did? Or when, when a child is growing up and they just, got, they just got cut from the sports team, and you're saying, what do you say now? What do you say to God? Thank you. You know, but oftentimes we say thanks only when something good has happened. And what God commands us is to say thanks even when bad things happen. You know the verse in 1 Thessalonians, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, In everything give thanks, because it's a pretty cool idea and will serve you well. It's not what it says. In everything give thanks, because this is God's will for you. 
easy to do when you're a child and somebody gives you a lollipop or someone gives you this or someone does that for you or someone gives you gas when you broke down the edge of the road. Much harder to do when something goes wrong and you, break, you run out of gas. You're like, because here's what we say sometimes. In fact, we use the word thanks in the wrong connotation. Have you ever said to somebody when something didn't go well to say, thanks a lot? You don't really mean, thank you for that. You mean, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously? You think I deserve that? And what God says to us is to give thanks in every circumstance, and that is his will for our lives. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know this verse as well. It says, no temptation or trial has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I like the message translation or the message uh, uh, paraphrase in this verse. Here's what it says. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. So what is my role? To give thanks. When my son goes to prison, give thanks. Because God's in control. God knows what he's doing. I don't understand it from my limited perspective, but when I'm looking for the right perspective, I go to God and I say, I want to trust you in times of want. I want to have peace in times of chaos. And I want to be thankful in times of disappointment. So we talked about how to understand God's role in our lives and how to understand our role in our lives. But here's one more. How to understand our role with one another. How to understand our role when we're going through life with one another. The first one is we get the opportunity to give evidence. One of the downsides, I say downsides, it's probably upside of working in a nonprofit social services world is everybody wants data. Like, can't we just change people's lives? Why do we got to prove it? You know, they want data. They want outcomes. In fact, the big word right now is, is your workshop, is your program evidence-based? That means, by the way, that you have to track somebody that came out of that workshop and made a change. Are they still making the same change 12 months? In an ideal world, are they still making it three, three years later? But if they're still making that change one year later, you can call your workshop evidence-based. So I got to tell you, those workshops have nothing over God because God is evidence-based because the data has proven over and over and over again for, for centuries, for millennia, that what God says is true. So we get the opportunity to one another when they're going through difficult times to say, listen, let me tell you about God's track record. Maybe you haven't looked at the data, but the data shows that God is still in this. The data shows you that God is still in control. And we get the opportunity to give them that evidence. The second thing is to provide comfort for them. His strength is sufficient and all we need And we can live in peace no matter what the storm. He is in control. The Bible says that God comforts us so that we can take our comfort and comfort one another. And when you've lived out what I just said, let me say it again. Let me say it again. His strength is sufficient and all we need. And we can live in peace no matter what the storm because he is in control. When we truly believe that, then we can go to one another and say, hey, let me provide comfort for you. Because here's the thing, we're not going to say, I don't know what you're going through, but we can say this, but I know who's going through it with you. And that provides the comfort. I don't know what you're going through, 
but I know who's going through it with you. And then the third one is to help provide focus. We don't need our joy. We already have his joy. Therefore, we can be thankful because he works out all things for good to those who love him. So we can stay focused. We can continue to delight in the Lord because he'll give us our heart's desire. So we can say to one another, listen, I know right now this is what you see, but fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And so what we get to provide for one another are these three things. To give them the evidence, hey, let me tell you who God is. Let me tell you about his track record. He, he never, he never forgets. He never lets down. He never can take a situation and say, I don't know what to do with it. Like this one's beyond me. God knows what's going on in Houston. And he's able to come alongside and provide for them in the midst of, uh, as, the, as I heard on the news this morning, biblical proportions flooding. It didn't surprise God. And so we get to help people see the track record of God and provide comfort for them with the comfort we have received and also to help them have focus. But what happens when I fail to have this kind of perspective? What's the alternative? Here it is right here. Um, Sorry, I was going to show you these. You can see those there. When, When God is the one that provides, then I trust in him and then I can show you the evidence. When God provides strength, I can live at peace and I can help you have comfort. When God provides the joy... I can have thanksgiving, and I can help you see the focus. But what happens when I refuse to live this way? When I decide that I'm going to provide for myself, then I don't need God. I've told you this story before, but it just it has struck a chord, and I'll never forget it. Somebody in our community was going through a very devastating thing, and they said to me, as I, as I sat there across from the table, they said to me, up till now, I don't think I ever needed God. I had all the power that I needed to get what I wanted. I had all the money that I needed to get what I wanted. And I've never needed God until now. But what happens when I provide for myself is I don't need to trust God. And when I don't need to trust God, guess what I do to others? I judge them. And I say, well, why can't they do it the way I did it? Why can't they be what I am? Why can't they? Well, you fill in the blank. Because when I can fix it all, then I don't need a God of the universe. And then when I look at you, I have no choice but to think, if you didn't do it the way I did it, then I'm just going to judge you. The second one is, when I have enough strength, well, I don't need peace. Because I have enough strength. My, my, my strength isn't weakness. Like, I have my own strength, and I can do it myself, and I, I don't need to have peace. Because peace is when you don't know what's going on, and you can't deal with it, but you can trust that God is in control. And when I don't need peace, then I can't offer you comfort. All I can offer you is a solution, and it's my solution. Does that make sense? When, when I have enough strength, and I don't need to rely on peace, then all I can offer you is, well, here's the four steps you do, and if you do it the way I did it, you'll be fine. That works until God places something in your life that goes beyond your ability to have strength. And then the third one is, when I find my own joy, then I'm going to struggle to give thanks. Because what I'm going to do is do more things that bring me joy. Pick up more gadgets that give me joy. I'm going to look for more external things. Oh, phew. Okay, I have joy for this. And then I struggle to give thanks. And then I'm unable to help others focus. And so there's a lot at stake for me if I'm not going to have the right perspective. Here's the thing. My experience in my own life, 
is that God's going to place all kinds of difficult things in your life that's going to force you, or give you the opportunity, I should say, to be able to trust in Him and lean on Him. And those things will give you perspective. That perspective will not only change your life, but it will change the lives of everybody you interact with. He's also going to place seasons of blessing in your life. And the challenge is not to forget that perspective during those times. Because if you forget that perspective, then you won't need God and you won't be able to provide any kind of help for others. I'm going to show you just a 40-second, 45-second video clip. I think it was 2010 that I and and a youth pastor from another youth group um, here with with, uh, the youth group here, we took a trip to the Bahamas. Remember that trip? Some of your kids went on that trip. And... um, one of the things that we were able to do while we were down there, and this was not, by the way, this wasn't the touristy side of the Bahamas. This was the incredible poverty side. I've been at many places where there's poverty, honestly. This trip shook me up more than anything else. And uh, one of the things that we did for a day is we went to an AIDS camp. Anybody on the island that was diagnosed with AIDS, there was no treatment for them. They, stuck, they sent them to this camp. And this missionary would provide for their needs. So you walk down this little dirt path, And there were all these little huts, one after the other. And in those huts were one or two people living and just waiting to die. They had all kinds of physical problems and all kinds of psychological problems, all kinds of, you know, emotional problems, because they were sent to the AIDS camp. They knew when they were sent there that they were just going to be there until they died. And we went there for the day and spent time with them. And what happened for, is anybody, any students, maybe they're all in college, anybody was on that trip that's here this morning? Uh, Okay, there's a couple there, yeah. So you'll remember this. Um, So this one particular uh, little little shack, whatever you want to call it, where you went to visit, there was this gentleman here. I think if you remember him, when we came back from the trip, I played a five-minute video where he challenged us all to have perspective, but I don't want to show that clip. But I want you to listen. I just described his life to you, now I want you to listen to the songs that he was singing. Since the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will sing this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I don't know if that impacted the students, but that just blew me away on that trip. That this gentleman here that is blind, I don't know if I told you that, blind, um, left to die at an AIDS camp, is singing, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. How do you do that? You know, well, here's how you do it. You have incredible perspective. During the difficult times in your life, you know that God is going to provide your needs. You know that he's going to give you strength when you're weak, and you know that he's going to give you joy when you're confused. So your response is to trust him in times of want, to have peace in times of chaos, 
and thankfulness in times of disappointment. When you do that, you'll provide comfort to one another, we'll provide um, evidence, God's track record, and we'll provide focus. This isn't always easy for me to live. Um, In fact, I need this talk just as much as the next person. But I hope that if you are struggling this morning, that it provides comfort to keep perspective in who God is, not on the situations you face. Easier said than done. And if you're here right now and you are going through a season of blessing, boy, I'm so thankful for that. But don't lose perspective. And to lose that focus on God, what his role in your life and what your role in your life is. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that you are sovereign, you are in control. Thank you, God, that you desire to come alongside us and help us through the good and the bad. God, I pray this morning for those of us that are struggling that we would keep this perspective because our perspective, when it's placed on you, changes our outlook on everything. And God, for those of us that are here and things are going well and we're encouraged and and we're just so blessed by you and the ways in which we define blessing, I pray that we would keep that perspective, that we are so dependent on you and that you are in control. God, I thank you for this gentleman, I can't remember his name, who was singing these songs and and how he can, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of actually reality, he can still praise you. And I pray that would be true of each one of us as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.